welcome to the In Contention Podcast. I am your host, Matt Cranstuber, followed by Rube Zenning Bressler. That's who I am, apparently. And Joey, the voice of reason, Pasco. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but hey, everybody. You always, you always seem to, to chime in with, like, you know, common sense type things, or people start going crazy uh, about a yeah, particular like when topic. start suggesting that they might unban land tax or something crazy like that. <laughs> All right. I, hey, I even admitted that that was a pretty good call shot. So, right. you know. Well, In Contention is the official podcast of the StarCityGames.com Open Series. And uh, this weekend, the Open Series is coming to Seattle, Washington, with $10,000 prize pools in both the Standard and Legacy Opens. If you can't be there, be sure to tune in to SCGLive.com and catch In Contention's own Joey Pasco and everyone's favorite limited connoisseur, Marshall Limited Resources, Sutcliffe. And they'll be bringing you the play-by-play on the weekend. Twitter hashtag for this weekend is SCGSCA for Seattle. So you can use that to join in the discussion. If you can't make it out, be sure to check out the Invitational Qualifier Tournament near you. Go to the StarCityGames.com Open Series page for a complete listing at StarCityGames.com slash Open Series. All right. And without further ado, why don't we get into some topics? we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. There's a, yeah. a number of humongous tournaments going on right now. So hopefully we'll be able to cover those. So our first topic is Star City Games Detroit. And that's going on right now in Detroit. Then we have GP Yak, which is the Grand Prix going on in Yokohama. Then we're going to talk a little bit about GP Vancouver and then do a small smattering of M13 spoilers, a brief uh, foray into the wonderful format of IPA drafts. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what Ruben was just poking fun at me for, <laughs> Lantex getting unbanned. And then we're going to do a sort of GP Atlanta sneak peek slash you know what what do we think the landscape's going to look like so yeah sounds good so star city detroit just yeah. uh they just just fired off we had about 430 players show up for the standard portion of the uh of the standard open mm-hmm. and uh according pretty- to chapin that's a that's a big number for detroit yeah that's uh, got to be the biggest tournament that they they probably ever had i yeah. would I think that they were actually talking about it briefly on their uh, on their coverage yesterday that it might have been the biggest. I think they were doing some research, and I think they found one. Didn't they have a Grand Prix a little while ago? Not a little while ago, a long while ago. And I think they had like six hundred for that. Okay, but, but still, this is a large like for a private company run event. It's an enormous tournament. Right to be even in competition with something like a GP, yeah, you know, is actually pretty impressive. And I, I think, yeah, Chapin's tweet was something along the lines of the biggest tournament in Detroit in the last ten years. So yeah. if that GP was before that, that's very likely what he was referring to. Right. So in addition to Detroit having a huge turnout mm-hmm. and whatever the stat may be, their largest, possibly second largest tournament ever in Detroit. There was also Grand Prix Yokohama, which we'll get to, which had 1,500 people, over 1,500 people, which is the largest Japanese Grand Prix of all time. That's huge. In addition to that, there was an 800-person Grand Prix in Vancouver in Avison Restored Sealed, which you know many people don't like all too much. And that had more than twice as many people than Grand Prix Vancouver 2008 had, which was when Paul Cheon won the extended Grand Prix. So that, that was an extended one. So a constructed Grand Prix versus a limited Grand Prix. Yeah. To, for a limited to actually 
beat out a constructed Grand Prix in the yeah, same city. Yeah, not just beat out, more right, than but double, and just double, four years yeah. later. That's that's so yeah, Magic's doing Magic's doing okay, folks. Yeah. So uh, why don't we why don't we talk a little bit about maybe some of the decks that we saw in the top eight? Um, you know, we did not see any real uh, movement from Wizards as it comes to standard banning, so people weren't afraid to bring out the decks that they've been bringing out the last few months. Right. Um, so it's a it's a, a little of the same, and some of it's a little different. There's a couple decks that showed up that I haven't seen in a while. One being Bant Pod, which is kind of a uh, an interesting an interesting yeah. list, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's actually really interesting looking at the top eight here. We uh, we have another standard tournament for consecutive weeks where I believe I believe last week just had one Delver list in the top eight. Is that right? Yeah, one Delver in the top eight. And again, here in Detroit, one Delver list in the top yep. eight. So maybe Wizards knows what they're doing with the uh, no bans for standard. Um, I hope so. I think we, we all kind of felt that that was. That that was what was going to happen, so I don't think any of us were surprised on. Yeah, on I think that. that it's less less uh, less about the power, and it's just okay. So I think that the players finally figured out that there were multiple ways to combat Delver, and it's just getting to the point where people are willing to, uh, you know, throw ideas out there and throw ideas at the wall until something sticks, and they finally found a couple, you know. Uh, the the uh, the rug pod that Michael Hetrick played in the Invitational. I saw a lot of people playing in the PTQ here in Roanoke yesterday. Blue Black Zombies split first yesterday. Uh, two Esper mid range out of the final four. Um, you know, people figuring out, hey, Lingering Souls is a card. You know, so like lots of uh, the, people are figuring out Delver. It's not it's not quite the menace that it was made out to be. There's even a that- Grixis control list here in the top eight. Yeah. Which is just cool because you don't see that very often unless it's Patrick Chapin playing it. Right. Like, you well, know? He, was, he, was, he probably was, was uh, lobbying to get that on camera as often as possible. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I bet you he was pulling for this guy, too. Yep. But three Olivia uh, in this list and um, a copy of Visions of Beyond, another card that, you know, kind of didn't really see much play. Hasn't really seen much play since it was printed last summer. And It's um, real tough to get 20 cards in the graveyard. Is. That's why there's only one in the yeah. deck, I'm sure. But but uh, I love just, the I love the fact that this deck showed up and did well. Yeah, I think it's probably worth noting the number of ponders in the top uh, in the good. top decks here. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't see like decks like Shaheen uh, Sarani's Esper Control deck ran no ponders, and now we see a couple in the top four here that actually do have ponders. So sort of uh, changing gears a little bit, um, you know, I, I don't know if, if, you, if you have a chance to look at these top eights, um, I'm looking specifically at the decks that, that Ari Lax played and trying to see how different it is compared to like Shaheen's list. And it's, it's so much more aggressive than some of the other Esper lists that we've seen. Um, it runs a full suite of Blade Splicers and Phantasmal Images, which are su- super aggressive. Um, and then also Restoration Angel. So it's less like a... Planeswalker control deck, and more of like, um, it's all it's more it's it's a very aggressive mid range deck. In fact, yeah, I've been trying to get back into um, playing some more standard on on Magic Online because I actually like the standard format right now, in spite of having so much um, uh, blue white around. And the Blade Splicer is one that every time that card resolves against me, um, I've actually been. I've been playing uh, Michael Jacobs' zombies uh, zombie pod list. I, yeah. I just that was the list they started with. It, was, it seemed to be a good 
uh, uh, sort of like a budget deck. And um, every time Blade Splicer resolves, I just lose. I because I can't like killing killing the Splicer feels awful, and like you have no way to kill the three three without dismembering it. And so like this Ari's deck is just like play Blade Splicer, copy it, blink it, and then just overrun you with golems. Yep. And to, to your ponder note, also the uh, so the zombies and the Delver players I think split in the finals, and they both have four ponders. Blue black zombies and blue white Delver, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, Ponder's definitely. When we were talking last week, the Ponder's the card that needed to go. It's not just because Delver was powerful; it's because Del- uh, Ponder is ubiquitous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we saw a, um, that a deck getting just barely edged out of top eight was uh, an Infect Delver list, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. Um, it's that the mono blue list that has Blighted Agents um, and Pump Spells and Ink Moth Nexus. Yeah, right. Yes. Spike, right. So uh, I've, I've actually lost a couple times to that deck online, and it's one of those where you, you, it just feels like so silly to to lose to like a rune chantered guy on turn four, and you're like, oh, I can, is this deck real? Like you're also playing Delver. I don't I don't really understand how this. Yeah, <laughs> how I, this I, works. yeah, yeah. It's a weird thing. It's like, hey, I want to. It's not totally focused on infect, uh, and obviously, if it has. Blighted agents in it. It's not totally focused on dealing damage. So it's in fact the only real infect card is bladed agent right? and like, ink moth. Oh, and ink moth. Right. Uh, so it's kind of odd. Like, but it lives by that old rule. Like, whichever threats the last one that stays on the board, that's the one that's going to kill you. That's true. Uh, but if you thought you were embarrassed losing to Rune Channer's Pikes, blighted agents, how about uh, Revenge of the Hunteds and Predator Oozes? <laughs> Top sixteen <laughs> mono green lists. Three Revenge of the Hunted. We've got some Wolf or Silver Hearts in here. Ulvenwald Trackers. Wow. So uh, we got we got an interesting metagame. Yes, Boy, we do. Suddenly and without warning, we have a okay standard metagame. Yeah. I. You know what? Um, I was kind of thinking about this the other day. I I remember back to when they first introduced um, a format to having an extra set in it, which was back in Time Spiral, and they they uh, made Cold Snap the summer set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I remember how much more depth it added to the standard, to standard, and I think that we're seeing that now with um, the last set that they did it with was the Shadowmore block, and uh, and then they I'm sorry not Shadowmore but rather uh, Rise of Eldrazi. It went Shadowmore then Rise of Eldrazi, and then they obviously brought the M rotation in, um, right. so that we have two base sets, and I think that really you know we've we've often said how quickly we these formats get solved because of. Big, uh, high-profile tournaments um, like the Star City Games uh, Open Series and being able to figure out the format quickly. And I think having more standalone sets like Avacyn Restored um, help that. Absolutely. And um, I actually I want to talk a little bit about that when we talk IPA because it's a sort of an interesting point. I don't know if they realized this back when they did it, um, but I think... Uh, even a set like Apocalypse should have possibly been in a standalone set, but I'll, I'll talk about that when. Uh, well, I, you know what? Forget it. I'm gonna talk about it right now because I think it. this is a good time. <laughs> I can so, tell you're itching. Do it yeah, live. I'm itching. So, hey, uh, w- as we discussed in the last few episodes, Wizards announced the 10th anniversary celebration on Magic: The Gathering or uh, MTGO Online, and as a part of that, they introduced gold cues. They gave everybody all these. Uh, uh, booster packs and um, and premium sets. If you if you've had an account on there for a while, so people uh, woke up to find that they had copies of um, the Graveborn deck and Slivers and Fire and Lightning 
whatever box sets in their in their collection. Um, but also as a part of that, probably more importantly than those other points, is that they brought back IPA drafts. Which if if Sam was still here, he he would have a field day with it because he's uh, he he and I've always talked about like sort of the the economics of of moto, and um, I think that he would have been very pleased to be drafting this, and I'm sure he's lamenting that he can't get on and, and do some IPA drafts. But uh, so I, as soon as those went live, I, I was sort of counting the days down and I was able to, to get in on some of them. And I've done oh, a, a lot of IPA drafts in the last, the last four, four days. Um, and one thing that I've noticed is that IIP was when I sort of did the most drafting of that set. And I didn't get to play very much when Apocalypse came out. I did some seal decking but it didn't really get to feel it as a set. And something that I think that is really awkward about it is um, the first two packs are shard based. So what I mean is they, you know, Grixis, um, Bant, et cetera. So they're all, they, they all match. But then when you get to the last set, it's wedge based. So red, green, blue, white, green, black, um, white, red, black. So it, your, your deck is like really good. The first two packs. So you're like, you know, you have like 17 or 18 playables. You're feeling really good going into the next pack. And then you just open all these cards that like have off activation costs. And, um, they just like, don't really fit in with the, this, the set. And it, it really makes like, I'll, I'll seriously have 20 playables going into pack three and, and barely get by if uh, on just like these awful cards, because, like apocalypse is just so out of place. And and I remember like when that set came out, I'm like, Oh, plane shift sucks. But in my mind, it was just because of constructed, you know, uh, things. And, and apocalypse was the set. Cause it had pain lands and vindicate and deed and spirit monger. And it was like the awesome set. So I don't know. Did you, have you guys had a chance to like get in there and do any drafts? Uh, I, 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 I don't, I don't play magic online. Yeah. I, uh, I um, I, um, up until recently I had a Mac. Well, I still have a Mac. But up until recently, I only had a Mac, so I've I've never really played ma- uh, Magic Online. But I do remember drafting that format live, like in real life, and I was the world's biggest fan of Apocalypse. But it was just impossible to draft that format. Like there was just no way to actually do it because you could go into the draft being like, "All right, I'm going to plan ahead for the third pack," like you sort of do in shards, right? You're going to be like, "All right, I'm going to draft the awesome red blue deck." And then the first two packs you get, you just have like three cards in your deck. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a it's a total gamble. I mean, they have some really good commons like Dead Ringers and Jilt. Um, that By the way, are like, no one no one knows what the card Dead, Dead Ringers does to this day. I know. Yeah, it's it is so the the wording on it is so confusing that like I I myself have resolved that card probably a hundred times in my life, and I even messed it up the first time that I tried to resolve it on Moto. Yeah, I think that, like, I just, I, if I was on Moto, I would just, like, point to the first creature and hope something else could be targeted and, like, have Moto tell me. Yeah, that's or what I did. And it, I, I targeted a jungle wall and a green creature, and I realized that, like, they have to be monocolored creatures. So, like, I guess if they were to retemplate, they could say, destroy two target monocolored non-black creatures. Right, but you could destroy two jungle barriers, for example. No, monocolored. Oh, they have to both be monocolored. They can't. Sh- oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you could. So you see- could destroy two jungle barriers. It's so yeah. It's it's just ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, I so my, I guess my point was that Apocalypse would have been a really good set 
to just make a standalone set. It would have fit well with the block. Um, you know, IIP still would have been an insane format to draft. Like, I, it, yeah, it's a IIP, IIP was awesome. Oh, it definitely was. Um, and I think Apocalypse would have been really fun had they made it, you know, 250 cards, put, uh, put more fixing in. Maybe you maybe you need some artifact mana, maybe a couple lands uh, beyond just the shock lands. And you would have had a pretty cool triple set format. Um, but as, as it was, uh, it's, it's really not a fun pack to open. I'm, I'm just, and I'll be honest, I, I don't think I've opened a single rare worth more than a tick. So the, the value on these IPA drafts is so low. Um, yeah. Well, what, what are the expensive rares? See, the thing is that like the good rares that you want to open for your deck are like Kavu Titan. Yeah. Right. Like those are the good cards. Whereas the only expensive cards that you could even open are like what pernicious deed and that's it. Worms chant, vindicate. Worms there's like sure. there's like some random ones. Like you, you could pick meddling mage, and and that's worth like four or five ticks. Um, but, but even but most of the good ones that you would want in your deck, like death grasp or sap, not sapling burst. That's a whole different block. But yeah, like um, you know, <laughs> no, you're totally right. It, it's it's like I, I did a bunch of drafts. I had a blast, but then I realized that I had like the drafts that I won. It was good. You're just bleeding value. Well, the problem is that, like, if you because there there are there are four three two twos. So if you win the first round and then lose, you get paid out plane shift apocalypse, and there's no invasion packs. And the only way you get invasion packs is if you make the semifinals. That's so. Crap. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. But anyway, let's uh let's shift gears like totally uh, flash forward twelve years in the future, and <laughs> uh, let's talk about a format that happened at GP about five thousand miles away over in Yokohama. Sounds yeah. Good. So modern boys, modern is a format that we will be playing every year in the PTQ season, and uh, we're also going to be playing at GP Columbus, uh, which is where Cranny lives. And so that's I'm the only one left. You're the only one left. We've we've all heard about the 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 extensive uh, migration away from Columbus, it's including alone, including right? me. We counted eight people. Really. Of our immediate group have moved away in the last three years. Who? Okay, so me, Stodd, Mark's son. Uh, Danny. Oh, Dan, well, right, we, Danny. Uh, Andy, Andy Cooper-Faust. Right, Coop. Rich Starsky, and... Um, Man. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's bad. It's so, right but, but that doesn't mean that, that those people won't all be coming back to play Modern, and we had a nice little uh, uh, preview of what that could look like at Grand Prix Yokohama, which, as I said, had... 1,540 or so players, and uh, some interesting developments in the modern format. First of all, Birthing Pod sort of showing its muscle as maybe the deck to beat in the format. Four decks in the top eight included Birthing Pod. I mean, they were Birthing Pod decks. Now, in fairness, it could be just because this is a Japanese GP that we see a quirky combo deck. I was just about to say that. (laughs) I was just about to say, you know... Birthing Pod is one of those cards that, that tends to be, like, embraced by, by uh, Japanese and, and uh, the, the, I don't know, Australian and Japanese and Chinese players tend to like these quirky, weird creature-based combo decks more than Americans. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the, the top eight, though, is, uh, aside from the, the, uh, the four Birthing Pod decks, which all look very similar. Actually, why don't we talk about those? Because... It, they did a top five cards of the format. Yeah, let's go over on, those. Yeah, 
on uh, yeah daily mtg joe what do you got i don't have it pulled up in front right. of me i've got uh right, number five lingering souls no real surprise there it's a great card yeah. in the standard right, so we've Jackson seen it end up sorry go i was gonna say we've seen it in legacy uh yeah win a, win a legacy gp um and uh you know, the deck that ended up winning was a black-white tokens, yeah, I guess. pretty much, black-white tokens. Yeah, it's got intangible virtues and honor of the peers and raise the alarm. So <laughs> That's so awesome. Wow. Yeah, now, Cloudfoot so, Ranger winning a modern GP. Uh, so number four was cranial plating, and, and a, a cranial plating deck did make top eight. I, I think they have another name, though. Uh, what is that word? Affinity, yeah. Affinity. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's no affinity cards. I think that Wizards is trying to get everybody to call it, like, Artifact Aggro. <laughs> like, that's just not that's even so fun to say. I like robots. Robots, robots exactly. Is so good. Robots okay. is, the, is the way to do it. Just okay. to say that, like... Because then you can say whenever it wins a whenever it wins a tournament, you can be like, "I for one welcome our new robot overlords." There you go. <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, one did make top eight. Um, number three, Kiki Jiki. And Kiki Jiki uh, did show up in, I guess, what all four of those birthing pod decks, right? I yes. Have to, uh, bring that up. So you want to let's just derail a little bit from here because uh, I think, well, I'll just mention the last two: so Kiki Jiki, Kitchen Finks, and uh, and Restoration Angel. And right. Kiki Jiki and Angel in particular combo pretty well. Right. Uh, so I, for those of you that don't know how that works, what you got is you got Restoration Angel that can blink a non-angel. I'm sure you've all played standard and you all figured out how powerful that can be. Uh, it can blink your Kiki Jiki, which untaps it. Kiki Jiki has haste. So it's basically another Splinter Twin combo that you can run out of your Birthing Pod deck. And the interesting thing about that is that you can now, in your Niapod deck, you can have a quote-unquote infinite combo or a arbitrarily large combo on three mana with village bell ringer four mana with restoration angel and five mana with zealous conscripts because zealous conscripts untaps the target that you can go infinite with your splinter twin combo without either splinter twin or deceiver exart or even blue in your deck yeah pretty crazy like just it makes that combo just that much more redundant yeah it's and it's probably worth mentioning that the um, that each of these birthing pod decks all have multiple combos. In fact, one of them has three ways to go infinite. Um, so I'm looking specifically at, at Ushijima uh, Masaki's deck, which uh, has access to Revelark plus Body Double and Visrasia. Oh my! And, and then it has um, Blasting Station. Does okay. it really? Yes. Yeah, two oh copies. Oh, my gosh. Um, then we also have um, the Malera plus um, a Persist Creature yep. uh, combo. Plus Vistress so, here. Plus Vistress here. Just, I, yeah, so just you know, do that infinitely. And then we can also just Tiki Jiki plus Restoration Angels. Yeah. So you know, whatever whatever avenue you decide you want to kill your opponent with, do you want to dome them you know, infinitely? Do you want to you know, mill them or do you want to attack them like... That's bonkers. This deck is ridiculous looking. This deck has sewing salt in the sideboard, oh, and a it. and a realm razor. Like this Whoa. deck is deep. <laughs> Two copies of Bonfire of the Damned in there. Just uh, yeah, another Avacyn restored value. Yeah, um, really interesting. Kind yeah, of this whole list. topic was very interesting. There's also a, a, a very neat mono blue fairies. So mono blue fairies had sort of happened. 
uh, towards the end of the last modern PTQ season, where it was sort of trying to muscle its way through the uh, the the the, uh, the red, white, blue uh, Delver kind of tempo step links aggro deck, as well as Tron. Tron had really established itself as the uh, as the big big boy in the in the in the playground at the end of last season, as well as Jund. Uh, there's also a Jund list in this top eight, but the Mono Blue Fairies deck was sort of trying to muscle its way in there, and it seems like it has. Um, although this particular deck doesn't look like it's changed anything from the end of last season, it's possible that the metagame has just shifted enough that it can uh, that it can that it can work. I'm like looking at the list. This guy had to to be a he had to be insanely lucky to dodge all these birthing pod decks because yeah. I don't see how looking he at his, this. Yeah, I mean, he has no inevitability. His clock's really slow. Like, he has V-Click and some counter magic, but, like, all they have to do is resolve a Birthing Pod one time, and, and then it's it's toast. I actually really like this the gen list um, at the top. This is sort of like sort of like the, the basis gen list that you can get. Um, the only big difference I see is they have a main deck, sort of Light and Shadow, uh, and a Jun Charm, which is, like, you know, that's it's got some utility. Um, but I, I actually think this is probably my favorite deck in the format. Just because of all of the targeted discard, you have ways to get card advantage. And people just aren't playing a lot of Blood Moons right now. Um, not a lot of red-blue decks, at least um, if you if you look at the coverage and look at this top eight. We see no red-blue decks. Yeah, which is quite a shift from last season when t- the beginning and middle of the season were dominated by Storm and Twin and, uh, you know, Pyromancer's Ascension-style kind of decks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Steam Vents was... Uh, it was the card, yeah. Yeah, it was astronomical in, uh, in value. It, like, shot up like crazy. So uh, Even some decks that started out as Storm and then shifted into Twin. Right. So the interesting... Th- one other quick thing I want to note about the, uh, the Restoration Angel thing is that both Restoration Angel and Zealous Conscripts mm-hmm. can be infinitely comboed with and win through either a Curse of Death's Hold or a Knight of the Soul's Betrayal. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was a card that I had started seeing a little bit of play towards the end of the season to try and prey on all the combo and creature the creature-based combo decks. Um, the, the, you know, it wasn't very common, but it was there. Um, and so this is sort of hedging that even before that even could become a thing. So what are you saying about the uh, the conscripts? Like, yeah, you, are you saying like the angel and the conscript conscripts? Combo right, they're together? both. No, angel and conscripts can both combo with Kiki Jiki. Oh, oh, right, see, to yeah. do the infinite combo, and they both have enough power and enough toughness to survive a curse knight of, of souls betrayal or a curse of death's hold. Okay, okay, I see what you're saying. Cool. Um, you guys want to want to move on to the very small amount of M13 talk here? Sure. Yeah, actually, um, just very quickly, as we get closer to the Columbus GP, which is coming up in about a month from when this episode airs, we're going to really be spinning that discussion up, and um, you know, we'll we'll be doing playtesting probably individually, and uh, and so if you're if there are decks that you want us to cover for that format, if you're coming into Columbus, be sure to. Be sure to let us know. So, sorry, that's just a little... Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Little blurb. So, uh, M13, they, they kind of took a... Wizard, Wizards did, actually, kind of take a break from the spoilers that we were all used to. But we, yep. did, get, uh, we did get one interesting spoiler over the week. Oh, just uh, 
obviously, I should mention why they took the break. They right. had was... duels twenty thirteen. Week. Yeah, did you guys get duels on I, your? I did. Devices? Did you did you even have to ask if Joey? I should have said Joey duels of the planeswalker pasco right <laughs> sure so did you so you have it on your iDevice? i do i've been playing it on my ipad this I, the, nonstop. The, I mean we're not getting paid by them so we can't say that oh, did wow. you get it on your electronic tablet <laughs> <laughs> i do i do have that on my <laughs> no, tablet. So, so you got it on your ipad that's i cool. do yeah so are you enjoying it I've, I've been talking with people and they seem to really enjoy the the sort of uh the new plot line kind of aspect with like all of the um like you go to different planes i guess to battle yeah. the different people yeah so i guess first uh, this is the first experience i have playing tools of the planeswalkers i never played it on xbox or playstation or anything so uh i i don't really have anything to compare it to to the previous ones i had heard you know the some of the criticisms of the previous ones where you couldn't tap your own mana Right. So you would end up in a situation where you're playing like a black-white deck and you have like one swamp and you want to keep Doomblade mana open. Then you'd play something and it would tap your swamp and you'd be like, hey, you know, I wanted to be able to Doomblade. Now I can't because yeah. you tapped my swamp. Well, they fixed that. There's a, you, you know, highlight the card. And if, like every time you touch the card that you want to play, it'll shift to different land combinations so you can choose which one nice. you want. So that's cool. Um and uh, so they, they have made improvements that I know of, but I didn't experience them previously. But I'm having a blast. Um, I uh, it's it's very how to how to explain it. It's weird. It's it's very basic. You know, the decks are pre-built for you, and you can unlock more cards for that deck. But you unlock all the cards for that deck, and that's your pool. Like you have, right. you have basically, uh, I guess, somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy cards non-land cards, well, non-basic land cards for the deck to choose from, and it, it automatically adds lands for you, so you can't choose the number of lands. So it's not really, you know, it's not magic online. Um, right. But it's a lot of fun. I know, uh, you, you know those, um, I don't know if you guys have seen this, a lot of times at stores, they'll give you, they, a lot of stores will have, like, promotional decks for new players to play. Yes. It'd be free, you know, the, it'd be a, a white deck or a blue deck. And it's a lot of basic stuff. Well, for my on my 29th birthday a couple of years ago, I was at Big Head Joe's house. And the whole time, all we did was just play those decks against one another. <laughs> so I can have a blast playing pretty crappy decks. Sure. And uh, I am absolutely having a blast playing duels. And it's, nice. uh, it's a lot of fun. I... I'm at this point right now. I have a game paused against Nico Bolas, who is a, the last boss, um, and he it's went. A great challenge. You'll like this, uh, Ruben. He played yeah. a turn three Mox Ruby. Yeah, and I was like, Moxes are in this game. That He's seems not real Moxes. fair. Yeah, it's, I have this terrible. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's pretty terrible. Uh, right. Deck, you know, it's a milling deck, and he's like, turn three, uh, Mox Ruby, uh, Demonic Tutor, oh Grave Titan. He, and I'm like, great. I have um, Mind Sculpt. You, uh, <laughs> this, this is all. <laughs> and I don't mean Jace's ultimate. I mean the card Mind Sculpt. Card Mind Sculpt. But it's it's great. So, so one quick thing I want to mention before we go into our ex, the the exciting card that we learned about this week was the uh, the the promo. So you don't get a promo card, you get a promo pack now, mm-hmm. which includes some promo cards. And if you buy a specific system, you get a specific rare out of that six card promo pack. The other cards are randomized. Right. So if you buy the PlayStation Three, your rare is going to be an alternate art Vampire Nocturnus. 
Now, last time Vampire Nocturne was in standard, he was worth a pretty penny and was a big part of the metagame for a while. Um, then, if you buy the if you buy the uh, iPad, like Mr. Joey Pasco, you get a alternate art Sarah Avatar. Which last time Sarah Avatar was in standard, it was you know not an insignificant part of the metagame. I don't expect it to be you know nearly as good now. Right. But uh, but then uh, then then if you bought an Xbox, you get a Primordial Hydra. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool way of doing it. I think that's a interesting way of distributing promos. Yeah, I was just sure. saying that Xbox kind of got the short end of the stick. I actually think PlayStation got the short end of the stick. Don't they? Isn't it Primordial Hydra for PlayStation? I thought Xbox got Primordial. Oh. I don't know yeah. which one it is because I anyway, either, either there's, a, there's a more exciting card to talk about. Yeah, well, there was actually two cards because Ruben, you mentioned one, um, and uh, actually, why don't why don't you talk about that one because I think that's worth mentioning before we go uh, into the other one. Okay, so there was a card that got where was it previewed in the same place? I think. Uh, yeah, card it is called uh, Thunder Maw. Is it Thunder Maw Dragon? It's Thunder Maw Hellkite. Thunder Maw Hellkite is a is three colorless red red. For a five-five flying haste, Woo. it's a mythic. It, it's a myth. Oh, of course, it's a mythic. Yeah, uh, when Thundermaw Hellkite enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to each creature with flying your opponent's control. Tap those creatures. I love it. So that thing is bonkers. He's a big dumb idiot. He is, and this also goes along with my theory that that uh, this could have been a well. I don't know how likely it is that all the other colors are going to get five fives for five in flying. But uh, remember a while ago, I was talking about this is the year of the dragon, and the dragons might replace the titans as the big cycle of big dumb mythic idiots. Yeah, yeah. This might be the flag bearer for that. Um, but yeah, red, red should have the best dragon, shouldn't it? Of course. It? And and this guy is just bonkers. Like, I I, exp- I fully expect this card to just win games by itself. I love and, the the throwback to Thundermare. Yes, because Thundermare was a five five haste, and when it came into play, tap uh, all. tap all other creatures, and it cost uh, two red and four. So this is obviously a major upgrade. Significantly a better a better card. Yeah, well, cheaper mana has flying. Actually deals damage to those creatures. Right. For uh, speaking uh, as a as a cubist, this card is a card that has been waiting to see print for a long time. Um, the red five drop slot. Well, I shouldn't say that. Zealous Conscripts kind of cave in and save save the day, but uh, the red drop five slot has always been just like the the worst slot. Yeah. Creatures coming in and out can't can't fill that role, and this is a really aggressive curve topper. Like I would even feel fine playing this in most of my. Mono red decks, like even though it's a little bit expensive, it's just it's insane. It's really good. This really begs the question for me for Cube though: uh, how many creatures are left in red that don't have haste? Yeah, I mean it's getting to the point where that that actually sh- I, I, I'm I'm fine with that. Give red something. Sure, that's, that's fine. I'm just saying that creatures. I, I love it. That like the only cards that are even left that don't have haste are like one drops, and even that's not really that big anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's like Siege Gang Commander, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's talk about this next card. That's just like s- totally will blow your mind. So it, this is a ten mana enchantment. Okay, so that's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> blue, blue, blue. Seven. You may cast non-land cards from your hand without paying their mana costs. Sounds an awful lot like a Mox Lotus, uh, which is an yeah. un- unhinged. Um, 
uh, rare that added infinite mana to a mana pool. Well, this yeah. this is very similar. And, uh, and there was a, a guy on Twitter. This is called Neil. Omniscience, by the way. Omniscience, yes. Uh, this guy on Twitter's name's Neil at Wrong Way Go Back, who said, um, well, you could show and tell this in a play, but I'd rather just show and tell an Emrakul. And uh, my argument was that this is like the super Akromas Memorial, right? Yeah. So I was having dinner with uh, Mark's son the other night. We were talking about hypergenesis, and I was saying how I want this card to be in there and was kind of talking through it. Because if you have an Emrakul in this card, well, then you pl- you show and tell this into play. Then you play your Emrakul, get the trigger. Yeah, and- you get the extra turn. And yeah. take the turn, okay? If your other card is a Grizzlebrand, then you put them both into play off of your Hypergenesis or your Eureka, or you just play it off of Omniscience, then you draw seven and play every card in your hand. Yeah. yeah. it's So it's a, actually just the perfect card for the Hypergenesis deck. Like, just, well, there's just... Go ahead. Isn't it just better for the Dream Halls decks? Like, you just take the Dream Halls out and you put this in. Oh yeah, I mean like, the only the only bad thing is you can't you will never hard cast this. So that's no sure. That's obviously, you know, so the, you take Grim Monolith uh, out of the mix if you're running that. You're probably just like on the mono omniscience plane. But I mean, it's a pretty good plan. Yeah, like plus you you're still show and telling. Which by the way, uh, how you know countdown until show and tell is just not in the format that, anymore. I was going to say I think that's why Cranny is so excited about omniscience because it's going to get show and tell banned. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, omniscience obviously for the Dream Halls decks is just going to be, you know, the the most ridiculous thing ever. Everyone's going to have the the stupidest three card combos to do with their omniscience, and it's it's, it's one sided. Yeah, I know it's ridiculous. Yeah, but this is a very cool card. Um, it is the they have a number of other big Timmy cards in the set. They they pre- previewed a card called World Fire. I don't yeah, think we yeah. talk much about it, which is sort of it's basically built for EDH, but it's red, red, red six, and you you remove all sp- all permanents from the game, all hands, everything, and each player's like total becomes one. So it's sort of like a everybody goes into this crazy berserker top deck haste mode, and yeah. like and yeah. that that card is really cool. Like that's a really awesome card for multiplayer formats. Yeah, you're left with whatever's left of your library. One life, and that's it. And both players are in that situation. Like, nothing, you have no permanence. You have nothing in your hand. And it's just like, hey, who's going to top deck something that they can deal that last bit of damage first? Become, <laughs> it's like you're just fighting on the edge of a cliff, you know? <laughs> like, who's, gonna, who's just going to slip up and fall first? Oh, yeah, or, definitely. You know, who's going to get to push the other guy first? It's just, it's very high tension kind of card. I don't expect to ever play with it in my life <laughs> but <who Right>. knows? <laughs> we've seen crazier things real yes, quickly sir. before we move on i wanted to mention one last card was faith's reward which is a one-sided second sunrise uh which is three colors and white return to the battlefield all permanent cards from your graveyard that were put there from the battlefield this turn Interesting. so it's only a one side it's instead of second sunrise you uh so you, it, where both your players would get all their stuff back only you get your stuff back and it brings back Planeswalkers. Interesting. So, I, I don't know if this one kind of snuck under the radar. I, I just briefly wanted to mention it. You know, I don't know if it's going to be a thing, but, you know. Well, Eggs eggs would definitely like an extra copy or two of this card, I think. Yeah. Right? Now, it is a little more expensive. It is four mana instead of three, but it's, you know, three colors and a white, and, and it brings back Planeswalkers. Yeah, yeah. and that's so. very significant. Uh, 
Although, as we, we mentioned a few episodes ago, planeswalkers are just a huge liability. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we've only got negate and, you know, there's zealous conscripts stealing your planeswalkers when they're about to go ultimate. I mean. Uh, I've done uh, it twice in the last few days. I've still, I've stolen a four and about to go ultimate. What a jerk. Yeah, uh, I actually, I literally uh, did the exact board state that happened um, that was on camera at Columbus where the player had a Gideon and a Soren. And instead of just making an emblem and keeping him protected, he he made Soren one away from ultimate and then had his planeswalker stolen and his token. And that's exactly what I did. And I just felt like the most wrong. I mean, obviously, he immediately scooped because that's very sure. tilt worthy. But <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, while we were kind of we kind of t- touched a little bit on legacy, um, we had a pretty major announcement the other day with uh, well, the band restricted list announcement that comes up every, the 20th of every third month. So June right. 20th, everybody was refreshing to see what card from Delver was going to be banned. Turns out none. Uh, and, but what surprised everybody but Ruben was, yeah. <laughs> was that land tax. Was Old unbanned. Ruben Damas. Coming yeah. through with your predictions. Oh, was a, that was a good. That was a good call shot. And um, it's I after the announcement, I well, I of course had to text Ruben and said, you know, you're you're a genius, Ruben. Good yeah, job, sort of, of thing. <laughs> but sure. I went back and listened to exactly what I said on the podcast just to make sure that I didn't sound like an idiot. And, and then, and I and I don't sound like an idiot. I think. Uh, and then I went back and listened to the old episode of UMTG Taps. Where Chapin was on uh, right. with Jerry T, where they were discussing it. What and episode was that? Do you remember? Just I think it was like fifty. It sounds about right. Um, it was done uh, basically eighteen months ago from today, so it's like 2000, 2010-ish. Okay. Um, and uh, it was eerie how I you would have thought that I I literally plagiarized Chapin um, because I my two main points, which I I'll still contend are very valid is that it causes a lot of shuffling and it causes those sort of standstill. I'm not going to do anything board states. Right. But that being said, the damage is done. Land tax is unbanned. What the hell do you guys think? This is insane. Like, I mean, I don't think it's that good. I just don't. I think I, that, sorry. No, no, no. Well, go ahead. Finish your I just think that it's just enough. It's a, so life from the loam is a good card, right? Isn't this just a worse life from the loam? In a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's a life from the loam that can only get you basic lands instead of like wastelands and and things that are good. You know what I mean? Like unless someone comes out with something really groundbreaking, because I don't think that the scroll rack land tax thing is going to work in to, in today's day and age where you can reanimate a Yogmoth Barkin, um, and like being able to scroll rack land tax is no more unfair than that. So I think that uh, uh, while it's neat that it was unbanned, it's it's sort of a a nice little nod to the old school, um, and it might add a little bit of flavor. And certainly unbanning it wasn't that offensive to any of the top decks in the format. I don't expect a land tax deck to, let's say, I I don't expect there to be any land taxes in the top eight of Grand Prix. Okay, I actually have a different take on on that. Um, while like Lantax itself as an engine is completely unexplored territory. The last time we've seen this card in print was back in like 1997. I mean, we, we, we have not had an opportunity to play this card outside of vintage formats. And for as long as 
modern magic has been around. So that that's that's point one. Point two, um, another thing that I said in the other episode is that this this will edge this will edge out decks that we would call fair decks. Um, imagine if you will decks that just aren't no are no longer phased by wasteland, right? So maybe I'm maybe I'm Tezzeret Control. Where I'm, you know, I'm some some random deck that I, I'm running a number of basics already, and I can bring in this card out of the board against Rug or against, you know, Maverick. And all of a sudden, now Maverick is going to have a really hard time relying on like the Thalia slash Wasteland plane to lock me out when I just go turn one Lantex go. Um, so I, I think just the, having the threat of that is important, but beyond that, like it's really hard to visualize exactly what Lantex will do. Because, I mean, it, it's powerful enough that it stayed banned. And I don't think it's for any of the reasons that I mentioned. It was because it was a powerful card advantage engine. And um, if you want to, like, uh, if you want to just sort of visualize what some of these decks might look like, Drew Levin wrote a, a pretty good article this week called Land Tax with an exclamation point. Very, very elegant. Um, in which he, he <laughs> details. Yeah. Um, he goes over a number of different lists. Most of them are blue-based, uh, but he, he does have a list in here that's very, very interesting, um, which is a pox deck list. So that's some, mm. so that's some thinking outside the box there. Um, he also has a list that, again, um, we have never seen anything like this called Lolcats, and that's an acronym for Loam, Onslaught Lands, Confinement, Assault, Tax, Scroll. And um, so it, the idea is that you just want to resolve a land tax with a seismic assault, and then you're just going to do nothing but, but dome your opponent over and over again. Um, so, you know, th- it's that kind of it's that kind of like deck building that we haven't been able to see before, um, and it's also just like an amazing cyborg card. And it, it, I think it'll make a, a wave in the format. I just don't think it'll be. If it, it won't make the same way that like Time Spiral did, for instance, or Entomb, um, or Metalworker, I think it will be much more subtle. Even though this card is like has the potential to be very powerful, so that's that's sort of like my take on it. But I, I'm I'm kind of like I'm kind of like I'm with you, Ruben. Now that I now that I've been able to sort of think about it for a week, that I agree that this card will it could it can be on banned. Like I think that people won't won't give us a reason to reban it. Yeah, uh, a couple things I wanted to mention. Um, I, I think I'm with with you for the most part, Granny. Like, I think, in a way, this card is... It's almost like a new card, because the format is so different now than the last time this was able to be played. And uh, I, think, I think it's going to probably spawn some new decks, but whether those decks are actually going to be good enough to compete with what's in the format right now, that's what... That's where I question things because it does seem kind of like a worse life from the loam. And it would be great to go turn one, Mox Diamond, Land Tax, go. But what happens when you're like, turn five, oh, I just drew my first Land Tax. Um, yeah. Am I, is this even any good now? You know, like it's, it's, it might be, but it's just going to be, it's one of those cards where it's like, hey, is this, this is just a blank right now. It doesn't deal with the Knight of the Reliquary on the other side of the table or whatever threat that I may be facing, Gristlebrand mm-hmm. or something. You know, it's it's. Uh, I I think it's almost. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what people try to do with it, and I'm excited to see that. Now, I'm not looking forward to a future where there's you know, four or five land tax decks in the top eight, but uh, I'm I'm thinking that's not even going to be the case. 
No. I think it's great. I think it's cool that they spiced things up with a new card. I, I, I love that Wizards has that ability to do that. Uh, you know, just kind of introduce a new, new old card into the format and make things a little bit different. Get people excited. Uh, and and one thing I wanted to note that you guys mentioned, one of you guys mentioned about the the GP. I think Ruben said it, but uh, the uh, GP Atlanta is coming up next weekend, and normally the bans go into effect on the first of the month following the ban, so it would be July first. Yes. But that's a Sunday. That's this Sunday. So um, that kind of doesn't that would make it illegal for the upcoming Legacy Grand Prix, and so Wizards kind of. Uh, you know, made an executive decision, I guess, to change things up a little bit, and so now it's legal as of. Is it the 29th? It's Friday. Is that what they're they're doing? I believe that was the yeah. I think so. The date I heard. So basically, it will be legal for the tournament. Though. And, yeah, and that's the important part. So we may. I I really uh, expect to see people trying it. I don't know what people are going to do with it, but. I think that's a really interesting move. Um, I'm actually really, really excited about it. It's been, it's been, there's been mixed reviews, but mostly positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think emergency unbanning a card is just as important as emergency banning a card, especially when you want to drive attendance to your events. Like, think about, think about all the people that are going to the GP. The, there's a lot of people that ha- that test decks that don't want to test for a format that isn't going to exist. Yeah, and like, uh, what, what what fun is there in that? Like, you want to test like for a, for the the event that's coming down the pike, you know, the one that you're going to be playing all summer. And I think this is a really good move. I think that it just shows that they're willing to to uh, to do things to help to help out players. Like, I think this will help out players. Sure, land tax randomly went from you know seven dollars to forty dollars. Yeah, uh, which is ridiculous. Moment. Okay, yeah. So I, I have my, my thought on that is is that people don't understand just how much fourth edition was printed. And I, yeah. I even I've been kind of like tweeting about it randomly. That like do you realize the last white border rares to be worth that much non portal uh are dual lands and fourth edition got printed a lot more than revised. Right. And it's also in anthologies, it's in Renaissance, it's been printed in ten. It's languages. in Battle Royale. Yeah, like, come on! It's it's been it's been printed enough times, and now we're finding that uh, printing when, pe- like- when people find out that their that their white border land taxes are, go up to forty, they're just like, okay, fine, I'll put them up on eBay for twenty five each. I just want to get rid of them. Yeah, and that's what's happening. And now it's kind of like coming down. It it will settle closer to the Sylvan Library level. Uh, Sylvan Libraries have one more uh, round of printings than land tax did, but it also wasn't in a box set. Yeah, so. You know, but it, I, I think that it'll it'll settle around there. We're so probably the at, also doesn't have the creepy uncle art. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It also doesn't have a judge printing. Right, the judge is, thing is the other thing. Yeah, that's that's something. But uh, so, it, it, if you guys are you guys like trying to to brew it all for Lantex? Have you been thinking about any decks, or have you have you been? Are you I, interested in? List that I've looked at that had Lantex in it looked absolutely just gross, awful. I have not seen a good land tax list that makes me excited to play land tax. Right. Uh, that, that's I agree. Being legal for a week, but you know, because because I'm sure the first I'm sure the first iterations of Maverick that that existed you know a couple of years ago, and I, I, you would have looked at them and been like, "What is happening here? This is gross." <laughs> but yeah, well, remember when Death and Taxes came out? We talked frequently 
Yeah. And, and the, when I, I, I remember the day very well when I sent an IM to Sam with the death and taxes list. This was like three years ago or something when that deck first started doing good on Magic Online. And he's like, he just types in like ellipses and then enter and then like more ellipses and then enter. And then what does this deck do? <laughs> and and that's like a great that's a great way to describe like the early iterations of Maverick. You're just like, well, I guess I'm just an aggro deck, but I'm real slow. And I have no disruption. <laughs> I have no disruption, but I can still win. Yeah. And, no. uh, you know, it's, so that's that's kind right. of funny. So, yeah, it, like early in in this sort of period of like what so what does land tax do? Like what are you doing with land tax? So I've seen a couple like there's the standard scroll rack lists that are either traditional like stone blade style or uh, miracles or you know various things like that. And scroll rack and top are pretty good with land right. tax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like. Yeah, and then there's like an Enlightened Tutor deck that I saw. And then people are getting a little more fanciful, putting land tax in like a Maverick sort of shell or putting it in like a Seismic Assault kind of where Loam used to be kind of shell. There was a really neat one that had um, – there was a weird Naya aggro thing that was like Wild Mongrels and Nimble Mongooses to just – just, to just get your graveyard full of lands. Yeah, it was very weird. Like, that was the best of them because it was just neat and different. But I just don't know what people are going to do with land tax. This is the big problem is it's so different than everything else. Like, as much as we compare it to Life from the Loam, which it, it, that's the most similar thing we have, they're vastly different. They're going to be vastly different used. So we just don't know what to do. And I don't even know where to start. So I haven't even tested anything with it. Well, yeah. and right now, it's awful. I mean, yeah. what is Lantax going to do against Grizzlebrand? Right. Nice, nice scroll rack, nice Lantax. I'll yeah. kill you. I'll, I'll put this enormous monster into play. Yeah. Or what's it even going to do against Rug Delver? Like, sure, you get to play one extra basic land per turn. You did it. Like, right. I'm I attacking mean, it, you for 90. And decks like Elves, and like Elves is a real good deck. We actually have seen it on coverage a few times this, this weekend for Detroit. Um, and, and we have people like Caleb Durward playing elves, uh, who's, who's sort of been on like the rock plan in, in the last year or so. So I, I mean, okay. So how about this? How about we kind of take it a different direction? Obviously land tax has no, has no home yet. Um, we can't predict based on the sort of wishy-washy decks that we've seen. So why don't we talk about the metagame for the GP? Uh, what, you know, what kinds of decks do we think people are going to play? Like what I, I expect there to be at least, I'd say we. I'd say we're going to get between 900 and 1100 people for this GP. I think that's a safe bet. I was going to say four digits is probably the over under for me. Yeah, I, I, Legacy's pretty hot right now, and I think uh, I think people want to play cards like Grizzlebrand. <laughs> I think people want to play Hypergenesis. I, I think people want to play, you know, these ridiculously unfair decks. It's it's kind of the most. It's it's the format that allows you to play that kind of deck and. Uh, I think I think we're going to see a lot high numbers there. But my my prediction, however, is that I expect to see Rug Delver do worse and Blue Red Delver do better Why because that? I don't think I don't think the green cards do anything. Um, I just don't think that, that you know 
like the, the green cards in Rug Delver are like Nimble Mongoose and Tarmogoyf, which don't do anything against a Gristlebrand and don't really do anything against Maverick even, other than just be smaller than your opponent's Maverick things. Like you want to be fighting on a completely different angle. So I think that a blue red Delver that looks a lot like Rug Delver, but just so happens to have some slightly different numbers and some slightly different things in it. Um, we'll be, we'll do better. Also, I'm on the Maverick plan as per usual. So I expect Maverick to do well and I expect to win this Grand Prix and the next four after it. Um, <laughs> definitely. So, you know, That's but, uh, is. yeah, but yeah, I definitely, yeah, thank you. I appreciate your, your faith. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that the, that the, the Gristle brand combo decks will do okay. Um, they will, a lot of them will make day two. I bet a lot of the, the reanimator kind of decks will make day two. I don't, think that they will continue as strongly on day two. I, I, well, I was going to say, I think you're right on with the reanimator. I think that's the deck to beat. That's the, that's the big deck in the room. Not sneak and snow, sneak and snow, not sneak and, <laughs> sneak and snow. snow? <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, even, snow. or even rug Delver. I think that, I think reanimator is the deck that most of the people that were on the sneak and snow plan before are now on reanimator. Yeah. Um, I think that the hypergenesis list uh, that that Jerry played with, I'm sorry, not Jerry, Jerry, uh, Caitlin played with, uh, right. and Todd played with back in Madison. I think that's just a pretty exciting list, and uh, I think it's a very oops I win deck. It can also be oops I lose in Todd Anderson's case in the top eight. Sure. But, <laughs> um, I think if you can put together that deck, or if you have have the access to all these like plane chase cards that you need. Um, I think it's one of those situations where, like, you can steal games a lot easier with a deck like Hypergenesis than you can with something, you know, like, maybe more fair. Well, I, yeah. I think that the other thing that's, uh, that, that you, that's interesting is, um, that blue-black Tezzeret deck mm-hmm. plays Ensnaring Bridge, and there's not a whole lot that can beat yeah. an Ensnaring Bridge. That's, that's true. I, I, Jerry T had some tech that he's been running in his last couple of animator lists. And, um, as uh, I was, I was helping Mark build his deck, but he, he played in a, in a tournament this last weekend. And he played reanimator and the card is tide spout tyrant. And that yeah. card actually just fixes all of the problems that reanimator has with cards like ensnaring bridge. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're on the gristle brand plan, like, it's pretty easy to, you know, if your opponent plays a bridge, you're like, well, okay, I guess I'll draw, you know, all my counter back up and I'll play a tight spot tyrant. Right. Um, well, you, all, the other thing about that is that you actually just can't beat a Caracas otherwise. Exactly. Yep. And, and a, a lot of reanimator decks are actually going back to playing Inkwell Leviathan um, and even playing a copy of Sphinx of Steel Win, which actually, obviously, Grizzlebrand's a better card, but instead of going the full four Grizzlebrands after Cyborg, you, you have a Sphinx. So you can tinker up these other targets, uh, no pun intended there, uh, instead of um, instead of playing playing into your legendary creatures, which I, I like that plan. I, I think Maverick is a, has a really, really good matchup against Reanimator, and if they're on, like, Tidespout Tyrants and Sphinx of Steel wins, that becomes much different. It's a yeah. much different ballgame. The other card. cool thing, sorry, the other interesting interaction is with uh, Animate Dead. It's just a thing to note that you can bounce the animate dead if you animate dead your tides about tyrant mm-hmm. in case you're about to get I don't know gilded draked or something. 
Um, and so you just get to reuse all your neat little little things there. Tricky, tricky. <laughs> I, I, I think uh, another card I saw, and I believe it was in Todd and Caitlin's Hypergenesis deck back in Madison, was uh, Ingot, Ingot Chewer. Sorry. Yeah. So like that deals with Ensnaring Bridge. Uh, out of, for the hypergenesis players that can either evoke it or just drop it, you know, off of oh, hypergenesis. So, he, so this is a, this is a question for all the hypergenesis slash show and tell sneak and show. Why is nobody running Trastodon? I just it doesn't make any sense to me. I feel like it's so good, especially in hypergenesis, when you know if you're if you're in a winning position and you have Trastodon and Maelstrom Wanderer, for instance, you could just kill your opponent on the spot, just deal eighteen to him, right? But I feel like there's so many decks that you're a dog to, like, specific cards, a ley line or whatever, and you can show and tell it into play or, or, uh, or if you have um, – if you're on Hypergenesis and, and your opponent plays a Chalice or something. I feel like it does enough stuff on its own that it not seeing it – having it not see play is bad. Plus, no one's playing Engineer Explosives. So the, the main problem is that, like, a lot of the hate that people are playing – for Hypergenesis and sneak and Show and Tell is like Gilded Drake or Sora of Temptation, which you just can't answer with a Trastodon. So people are leaning towards Angel of Despair when it comes yeah. to that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I completely agree, especially when it comes to things like Ensnaring Bridge and you know, I don't know, Oblivion Ring. I don't know if people are playing that card. Or just Caracas, like Kill Your Caracas. Yeah, yeah, Caracas. That's a card that exists in real life in Legacy as opposed to Oblivion <laughs> Ring like I brought up. But yeah, like it deals with a Caracas. And, you know, decks are usually only running like one or two. So, yeah. I, I don't think it's seeing as little play. I mean, maybe it's just not seeing as much as, as it was, but I feel like, you know, the la- I keep mentioning Madison because that was the last event I did, in, you know, a few weeks ago. But I feel like I saw Terracidon in some sideboards of these kind of decks. So just as a one-of, maybe you guys think maybe, you know, maybe they should be main deck or something. But I, I feel like I remember seeing Terracidon in some lists in Madison. So maybe it's there and it's just not showing up in the top decks that or the right. decks that are, that are top eighting. So. Yeah. All right, boys. What do you predict will happen at the Legacy Grand Prix, and I suppose, if you want to, in the Legacy portion of Star City Games Seattle. Yeah, where land tax will also be legal. But yes. I'll, I'll be there. I'll get to watch. I'm hoping my, to see some land tax decks in action. My prediction sure to go wrong for this weekend. <laughs> there All right. What, what do you got? My, there will be no land tax decks in either the top eight of the Grand Prix or of Seattle. Wow. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. What, what do you think the top? What do you think the top eight uh, as far as decks are going to be? If you if you were to if you just give a couple archetypes, what do you think? I'm going to handicap it. Uh, most likely, I am going to say. I'll say Reanimator will put two in the top eight, and then we'll have six other archetypes. Okay, fair enough, Joey. Um, I'm going to go with. Uh, I, I think I think a land tax deck could make top sixteen. Of Star City Seattle, that's where I'm going to go. That's the only land tax deck I'm thinking. You know, just just one kind of creeping up on things. Maybe maybe somebody figures out how to uh, how to get good value out of it. Um, yeah, I think that that's the thing is that people aren't going to figure it out immediately. Yeah, that, that's that's why I so pretty pretty much I agree with what you said, Ruben. But I think maybe one will show up in top sixteen uh, in sure. Seattle or something. So, um, and uh, as far as the the uh, Top eights are concerned. I think Reanimator is going to make a showing. I think two. 
I think there's going to be some sneak and show decks in that uh, in that top eight. I think you know Gristlebrand decks in general are really what I think it, fill about three three slots of the top eight. Gristlebrand decks. Yeah. Okay. I think we will see sixteen copies of Show and Tell in the top eight. Woof. Yeah. No. That sounds, Wait. That's, between that's main close. deck and sideboard. Between main deck and sideboard. Okay. Because the reanimator decks run into because they run into sideboard. Right, okay. Right. That's fine. Um. I think that that means we'll see some combination of Reanimator, Show and Tell, Hypergenesis. I think that deck's very good. So the top four of the top decks will be. So they're all putting Gristle Brands into play. None of them are putting Dream Halls or Hive Mind into play. I actually think we're going to see a Hive Mind because Omniscience. Not yet. Won't be legal yet. Yeah. I I also think we will see a deck like Blue Black Merfolk, which basically just kind of powers through the format. you know, like one, and, like one at Grand Prix Columbus when uh, when Saito powered through the the, yes. the format of of Survival the Fittest decks. Yes, yeah. I think I think right. that we we will we will see that. So that that's sort of my prediction. What would you, I think that oh, oh, also okay. Esper Stoneblade? Don't forget that that's a deck, and it's in back. spite of the fact that people, I still don't think it's a good deck. I tell everyone this every single time people talk about Esper Stoneblade. I'm like, Rug Delver is fifty percent against every single deck. And Stoneblade is 45% against every single deck, so why would you play Stoneblade instead of Rugtalfer? I guess you got to kind of look regionally. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not really surprised that there was a lot of Esper floating around Indianapolis and Columbus. Um, I don't know, like... That's what... the other thing about Legacy, is that it's much more of a regional metagame than Standard is, whereas your average Standard deck is like, what, $400 probably to buy all the cards, $500? Your average Legacy deck... It's probably closer to fifteen hundred, maybe a little less, maybe a little more, depending on what you're running. If right. you're running, yeah, capital, and you may just not, you just may not. Your local game shop might have access to those kinds of cards, so you might right. see them a little less. It's much more regionally driven, so there's not really a legacy quote unquote metagame nationwide so much as there's a legacy metagame in your region. Yeah. So yeah, I, I can see that, and I don't know what the what the South is like. I, I have a feeling that uh, it's much more combo driven. If I remember from when I went down to Star City Games Atlanta, um, so it, it, that's entirely possible. Crandy, yeah. are you uh, are you going to go to Atlanta? I, I will not be able to make it to okay. Atlanta this weekend, but obviously you're, you'll be in Seattle next weekend with Marshall. Exactly. Yeah, so, I'm pumped about that. So, so you get to. Do you get to hang out with all of the uh, the Seattle people, which is a pretty pretty long list, pretty pretty cool crowd? Yeah, right in uh, Wizards of the Coast's neighborhood, so that'll that'll be really cool. Um, You'll even possibly be able to take a look at uh, in Ghost of Incontention Magic Past. <laughs> Just take a look at him. Yeah, from behind <laughs> the glass, from yeah, behind hey, faded look. glass. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say, Cranny, was what would you play if you were playing in Atlanta? I think I'd have to go Reanimator. I think that deck just is too hard to hate out right now. I I think Reanimator is where my uh, is one of my top choices. The other one is some sort of bug control list. And I know we talked about this a couple episodes ago about you know why uh, I think Ruben, you and I both were mentioning bug control, and I feel like something like a Team America esque list could yeah. could make an impact, and and because. Uh, because it's not doesn't have a target on its back like Reanimator does, I may right. go for that more you know quote unquote rogue strategy uh, with with like bug control. Plus, I haven't played with that in a while. I've played with Reanimator more recently, so it's more like hey, you know, I, it's kind of a new ish deck. Green white so. dudes throw animals at the problem. That's the answer. <laughs> Stop trying to 
play Brainstorm. What are you guys if, doing? If you want to level the format right now, I think if you're playing Reanimator, you should play one Coffin Purge in the main and then have up to two in the cyborg. Be able to uh, entomb it? Yeah, and I think it's just a good value card. I think it gets enough it gets enough uh, decks in the format by surprise that, you know, nabbing a, a Life from the Loam or, or a Lingering Souls, and they're just like, whoa, I didn't really expect that. I guess my whole plan A is out the window. So, uh, I, I don't know. If, if, you, if you're expecting Reanimator as much as I believe Reanimator to be there, you would be a fool not to have uh, up to three of that after Cyborg. Yeah, so. Coffin Purge is the card. I'm sure that there's also... See, the other thing about Reanimator is that it's not really been all that explored. Like, people forgot about it as an archetype. And so it's it, people are just like, yep, you put a guy in the bin, and then you play one of these three reanimation spells, and then you draw 14 cards, and then you win. And people are <laughs> like, well, you know, you got to put like 30 other cards in the deck. You know, so people haven't really... Like, a Coffin Purge wasn't really talked about as a sideboard or even main deck option uh, until, like, what, two weeks ago? So I expect... I fully expect there... And, and then, you know, Tide Spout Tyrant. We just talked about Terrasodon. There are so many giant animals and so many other things to be able to interact with graveyards and so many other things that interact with, you know, uh, uh, big creatures that, you know, you haven't... We haven't seen anything from what can be done with reanimator yet. People are just still on like, well, you animate dead Niona, and then you don't let him cast a brainstorm, so then you win. <laughs> I mean, that's right? the plan. That's it. And that's the plan. That's it. We don't have any other plan. Everybody pack it up and go home. You know, th- there's still lots of area to be explored out of reanimator. So I, I think that we'll, we'll see some... I think that the more innovative uh, it, uh, reanimator lists will, will possibly show heads... Uh, we'll turn heads this weekend, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing something other than stock reanimator. If you're like a random uh, a random deck playing graveyard hate, you might you might try to level them and not bring in as much of your non value graveyard hate, just so you don't get beat on the show and tell plan, which is something that I used to do a little bit in the two man queues because like you sort of like have to it's sort of like dredge now where dredge is saying well. Yeah, okay, if you have Leyland, I lose. So instead of doing that, I'm just going to board in cards that are just going to make my game that much better against you. Like, I'm just not going to worry about the hate. And uh, right. I think you, you could potentially have something like that against Reanimator. Just, you know. Oh, try to, I figured try to... it out. I just figured out what the deck's going to, what's going to win the Grand Prix. All right. Belcher. Good call. While everybody's like, futzing around trying to do... Trying to have other hate. Like, the only thing that, what, like, what's the only thing that beats that card is just Force of Will, right? So if we, yeah. if you just avoid all the Force of Will decks, like, and just play against Maverick all day. Yeah, I like it. So Actually, you're, you're contributing no, to that cause then, really? Yeah, no one, no one play Belcher. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, well, um, why, why, don't we, why don't we call this a wrap? Um, unless you guys have anything else to add. Nope. I'll, uh, I'm excited uh, to uh, see anybody out there in Seattle uh, show up with a land tax deck. Uh, land tax deck. Yeah. And, uh, Prove so us you wrong. Can, uh, yeah. Prove us wrong. And uh, follow us on Twitter. We have the the In Contention account is at In Contention. My Twitter account is at KStube. Joey is at Affinity for Blue. And Ruben is at MoxRuby. And uh, you can look at us at uh, StarCityGames.com or at InContentionMagic.com. And uh, I don't have anything else to add. You guys, yeah, you guys that's good? It. We'll, we'll see you in Atlanta or Seattle or wherever Cranny will be. 
I'll be, uh, I'll be motoring. See you in Atlanta or Seattle or Cranny's house. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. Sounds good. Until next week, we're in contention. 